0: No matter what the outcome of that training session was, it's like leave it on the maps. Like just keep showing up and keep coming back. Because one day you will get it. You will have that light bulb moment or it will click. This is where you're meant to be. Like I know it. I've never my best self be. is better
1: than every single person who's gonna walk on that platform at Gosh, man, that was was a moment to change my life, man.
0: Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again.
1: journey to a better you starts right now. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret about the editing process of the podcast. I typically hate listening to these back. I try to do it once just to make sure that there's no, um, nothing bad with the sound or anything like that, but I typically just don't like hearing my own voice. I start second-guessing myself on the questions I asked and how I could have done better, but there's a few conversations that I've had where I just thought, wow, this was great. And that's what this week's is with my guest Gen Z, uh, Jennifer Zanati Ferrari. She is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. She has a podcast, a Substack, which is where I first discovered her. Um, ton of different wisdom I took away from Jen. I think even if you never step foot on the mats, if you're not a Jiu Jitsu practitioner, I think this one's valuable. I think. Um, You'll learn that becoming a black belt in one area will transfer over into everything else in life, and that's what I really took from Gen Z. So thrilled to uh, release this episode! I think you guys are really gonna dig it, and uh, let's shoot it there now. Yeah, and it is so easy to start. I think um, it might all in. It's almost too easy because I think like a lot of people do one, they put one or two out there and then they completely fall off. Yeah. And I've seen, it's so sad because I see so many people start them and people have asked me like, oh, how do I get started? Can you show me? And then they'll get really excited for a week or two and then it's just like done. And I'm like, you were really good though. You should keep doing it. Yeah.
0: Well, I think the key as in with anything, and this goes to jujitsu or fitness or whatever we talk about, but is consistency. So you have to kind of keep at it. And you might not get like, you know, you're not gonna have a thousand followers at first. But I think if you keep putting content out there, you have to enjoy it. You have to be passionate about it. Um, you know, and I think that's a good way it's trial and error too, right? Somebody's like, oh, this is a great idea. And then they start doing it and putting in the work and they're like, ah, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Um, so, you know, I think you have to be consistent with your audience and, you know, really post stuff out there regularly and not just like, here's something once every three months, you know, so people have to be kind of committed to that aspect of it.
1: Yeah. And it's a balance. I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago too. Like the, do you want to be consistent or do you want to put out great content all the time? And I think that kind of trips people up because you're not always going to have a good one. Sometimes you're just going to have a dud and it's like. Do you right. put that out because you need to put something or do you wait a couple of weeks until you can get something really good? And I, obviously, the longer you do it, the more trust that you have with your audience that, hey, I'm going to show up and be consistent. Maybe when you take a week or two yeah. off, they're like, oh, OK, it's no big deal. But if you're like just getting started and you do that where you post every two months and then it's like nobody really trusts you anyway.
0: Right. And and I think, too, when you have that trust and you have that audience, you could always put out, like, even – I've kind of – I want to experiment with this a little bit more, um, but doing just, like, my own, like, kind of, like, little tidbits of info with just me and not a guest. I've always had a guest on, but I feel like then you could put something out, too, if it's, like – 10 minutes of this or 15 minutes to loop people in on what's going on. So that way you have something that gets out there, but you know, maybe you didn't have a guest or something to have on that week or whatever it may be. But I feel like then you can have that report with your audience.
1: Yeah, totally. And I've always, I've had an office job for the longest time. So uh, I was like four hours, five hours, the better, like keep going. But, uh, but some people are that like 10, 15 minutes, give me some good information. And then I got other shit to do. Yeah, definitely.
0: And I, I'm throwing this out there. I do have our bunny rabbit in the background. So if she's, I feel like she's making some noise, eating her boxes and drinking some water. So let me know if she's a little too loud.
1: Oh, uh, that's okay. I'm. We have a puppy now. He's, he's about to turn one. And I feel like I'm <laughs> mastering the art of like getting him situated right before the podcast, making sure he's the optimal amount of tired to sleep through it.
0: For sure, I have. We have Bria. She's going to be two, and uh, my husband's actually out out in the living room on a call <laughs> as well, working from home. Um, but he's kind of got her. I'm like, okay, I'm on a podcast, so you've got to like make sure Bria's all good. So you may hear barking, you may hear the bunny. You know, it's just uh, a house full of animals.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's real life. I think um, it's so easy to look at. And I was thinking about this. I was just taking a walk um, because people are so accessible now. Mm-hmm. You. I think people look up to, you know, say Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan and any field that you're, that you're interested in jujitsu, like you, you have immediate access to the best person at that. Right. And we're almost like comparing ourselves all the time to the absolute best of the best. And a lot of times real life does not look like that for everybody. And maybe you don't even want it to be Mm -hmm. like, do you want to, Have all that time commitment and, you know, have all these responsibilities. Uh, I don't want to have the same schedule that Joe Rogan has. Like, I want to do this for fun and enjoy it. And I mean, not comparing yourself to that. So, not expecting the sound quality to be absolutely perfect. And you obviously have to optimize stuff, but but it's real life. Like we're doing this for fun and we're, you know, trying to get better at it. And I'm sure we'll talk about that with jujitsu. Like there's so many similarities to just like doing something for fun for a really long time and just trying to get a little bit better instead of walking in day one thinking I'm going to beat a black belt or I'm going to beat this guy.
0: For sure. Well, and I think to your point too, I think people appreciate, um, being you know when when they have a host or somebody that's very authentic and genuine and real because i feel like they can relate to that the most so it, it's good to kind of you know bring that side or that behind the scenes kind of into it because you know if we strive for perfection i mean that's something i tell my clients to to not necessarily strive for but if we're always trying to just be perfect and something goes wrong, that's, you know, I feel like that's just a a setup for for failure, you know, on our part. Like we really want to be able to kind of show like, hey, this is life, this is what happens. And in this whole like post COVID world, I think too, where everybody's used to being on Zoom or like meetings from home, you know, people were getting more of a glimpse into that. Like, these are real people. These are coworkers. I'm seeing their real life. They've got this going on in the background. So I think people can kind of appreciate that a little bit more. Like, hey, I'm working, I'm hustling, I'm doing this. This is something I love. But like, there's, there's life going on and, and this is what happens. And that kind of leads to, I think, even better topics uh, to be able to talk about. So I think the audience kind of appreciates that a little bit more, too.
1: Did you struggle with that in the beginning or did you feel like you were just able to be a hundred percent yourself when you popped on the microphone or started recording videos?
0: Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think, I think it came pretty natural. Like I, I was always, I've always been very open and I think to, you know, with my career over the years as being like an esthetician and makeup artist and then transitioning into Personal training, fitness, nutrition—like I've always had to talk to people or be in that kind of uh, you know service industry. Um, I was always kind of one listening, but I think having that rapport with people, you know, it was a constant dialogue. So I've always been very open. I think you know to, I'm comfortable with that. So it was something that I was a little bit more comfortable with. I will say. Having certain guests, sometimes that was the challenge. Um, Some were maybe a little more intimidating, or some maybe not, um, you know, not as talkative. So you'd have to really kind of lead the conversation. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, one of my goals for myself was I wanted to have as little editing as possible. So I would just like, as soon as it was like, go, okay, we're on. And like, we're going to run all the way through. We're never going to stop. It's going to just like, we're going to go through. So, you know, that was the challenge for myself. Like, okay, I've got to keep this going. Like, we got to keep it rolling. So I think sometimes that was, that was the challenge. I felt comfortable kind of opening up and talking about stuff. Um, but depending on the guest that I had, sometimes you don't know, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, or it might be somebody a little more intimidating, like my most intimidating guests, and I will put this out there, was Travis Stevens. And I had him in person in studio, and he came and did um, a seminar at Serafin. And, uh, you know, it was great. He's a great guy, like, great. But I was like, okay, you know, it was a it was kind of like, you know, he's got a little of a harder exterior. And I was like, you know, just trying to get a little bit more and like some one word answers. And, but then it was like, good. Once I was like, okay, Jen, you can do this. Like, this is just a normal person get through it. And it was a great interview. Um, you know, so I think those things, I think it's good to have those challenges because it just makes you better.
1: Yeah. You like leveling yourself up for sure. I think too. Um, so I was at the Arnold Classic this weekend. Um, I competed, and there's a lot of – so w- I compete in weightlifting. I told you this last week, but there's a, there's a lot of popular people in weightlifting. I think the same way that Travis Stevens would be. A lot of people who listen to my show probably won't know who he is. He's mm-hmm. a judo judo practitioner. Judo
0: Olympian, yep. Uh, he was a silver medal Olympian. He went to the Olympics twice, but he's also a black belt in jujitsu. Okay. Okay. So very, yeah, very well known, very popular. Um, so it was, it was cool to have him kind of on, you know, as a guest, but exactly.
1: <laughs> but, but I see, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I see these people in weightlifting who are like that, these, sure. um, like folk heroes in weightlifting, but like they go to the airport, no one really knows who they are. And, um, it's funny just seeing people they're like, Oh, that's Maddie Rogers. And mm-hmm. she's sitting like, she's sitting two feet away. And right. they're, like, taking taking pictures, like, trying not to show her. And if I see Maddie Rogers, I'm like, hey, Maddie, how's it going? Like, I don't have that intimidated factor. Right. But I think I just try to at least, like, look at everybody as a person. And, like, yeah, they do weightlifting and they're really good at it. But I'm sure there's a lot more to them than just they pick up a weight and put it down.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's just, I think it's two different, like people's personalities and sometimes, you know, wanting to have that connection and click. And if there's maybe not that initial connection, like how do you steer the conversation in the right way? So there's all those, you know, it's just people, right? It's just really being able to kind of read people and, and kind of adapt to their personality to be able to shift to the conversation in the right direction.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that part is the skill. Yes. Like opening up may not be a skill that people necessarily have to develop, but like leading a conversation and reading people, being aware of, yes. you know, people's body language and the, the way they're talking and like developing that. That's the hard part about it. Exactly. Interesting. I like that. Um. I'd love to just hear how you got into jiu in the first place, because I know you got into it a little bit later in life, and I'm sure you've had a ton of different experiences that led you to where you are now. I know you've had a bunch of different businesses and done a lot of interesting things, but I think let's start at jiu-jitsu and kind of see where we go from there.
0: Um, so jiu-jitsu, I started when I was 30. Um, you know, I always joke, like, I really wish I was I wrestled in high school or that, like, martial arts was more popular then. it just some, wasn't something on my radar um, or my parents really. So it was never anything I was that I thought about or really knew much about. Um, when I was about 25, I had I was at my like heaviest and probably unhealthiest phase in my life. That's also when I started my initial business, too. So there was a lot of change kind of going on at that point. Like mid 20s, this was the time to kind of like make some change uh, in a positive direction. So, you know, I really got into educating myself on nutrition and uh, working out, just training, weightlifting. And I started doing a lot of that on my own until I uh, started going to a boxing gym in town that some friends brought me to. And that's where I met uh, Ilya, who was. One of my first coaches, he was a purple belt, now a black belt under Jeff Serafin. And, uh, you know, Jeff was his instructor. And so he's like, hey, you know, I think you'd love jujitsu. And I was like, what is this? Like, I don't think so. It took about a year until I actually like, was like, okay, let's try it. And then, um, we did a few like private sessions and then I, you know, he took me to Jeff's also. And like, I met everybody there and started training and I was like, I'm hooked. Like, this is it. This is amazing. Uh, so it was when, yeah, it was like, I was 30 years old and I, I right away just kind of dove in. I feel like I'm kind of one of those people too. Like when I like something, like I'm a hundred percent (laughs) in like fully focused, um, So I think it was like six months in, I did my first tournament, um, and was competing like super heavily white through purple belts. It was just the love of my life is really like what jujitsu became. Um, and you know, it was something that I think taught me a lot about myself and gave me a lot of confidence because it was also a very hard time in my life. I, uh, was in my first marriage and You know, at that point, I think you do a lot of things at a young age uh, for the wrong reasons. and you think you're in a good spot. Um, But it just I learned a lot about myself and I just was not happy. And I think jujitsu gave me the confidence to make some life choices that I needed to make to really, um, you know, do what was right for me at that time. So it it came to me, I think, at the right time in my life.
1: So. I think because of people like Jocko and, and Joe Rogan, like, I so I had this perception when I got into jiu-jitsu that, like, everyone was going to be super nice, it was going to be no ego, everybody's super humble, and it's just like this kind of, everything's like a flow roll type thing, especially mm-hmm. when you don't know what you're doing, because I think it is really intimidating. But I got to the gym. And I realize there are those people like that. There are people who are incredibly humble, humble and have no ego. It seems, and then there's also people who just want to beat your ass, and yep. they will do whatever it takes to do that, and they don't care if you get injured or if you're if you're like trying to tap. But uh, did you find that when you first got started, like people were were too rough, or like what was your experience like at the beginning?
0: Um, I have to say I don't know. Like I had a really positive experience. I think I was the only female, like there might've been like one or two other females that kind of lingered in, or maybe weren't as like consistent, but I was pretty much like showing up at the gym, like very regularly. And um I, you know, I trained with mostly guys and I had a very you know positive experience with a very supportive group of my male training partners. They were all like brothers instantly. Um you know and super helpful, super supportive, but like also gave me like hard training. Like they weren't like, oh, we're gonna take it easy on her because she's a girl. And I also think like, you know, I'm five eight. I was probably like 190 pounds when I first started jujitsu from like my 230 that I was initially at. And now I walk around at like 165. But um, you know, jujitsu just helped kind of with that process even more that weight loss process. But, um, so I'm not, you know, the moral of that is I'm not like very petite. So I think, you know, it was okay. Like training with a lot of these dudes. Cause you know, I was maybe around their size. Um, so I, I think they, they gave me a hard time, but in a very positive way. Um, so I didn't, you know there there were times and of course like you have newer people come in and I feel like oh you know I can't be tapped out by a girl like the ego goes way up at that point um but you know I I felt very confident and like okay well you know what I'm just gonna like smash you right back and you're gonna give me that energy you know you have a spazzy white belt or somebody that comes in and um you know they have to kind of learn that lesson a little bit and be humbled but Um, I think for the most part, like I had very positive experiences. I, you know, I don't want to say it was perfect, but I've heard obviously from knowing a lot of people around the country and so many other females and just jujitsu practitioners that that may not always be the case. And, um, you know, you've, I feel like too, you've got to communicate and also tell people like, you know, if there's somebody you don't feel comfortable rolling with, it's okay to like, be like, Hey, you know, I'm tired. I'm sitting this one out. I'm not going to roll.
1: Yeah, and I was even reading one of your blogs this morning where you talked about the communication and how important that is with, um, I'm sure for females especially, but like everybody. Yeah. If you're going up against somebody, maybe you say, hey, I have an injury. Like, I don't want to go too hard. And right. people will probably be fine with that if you let them know beforehand. But it's that I think that's where the ego comes in when you're like mid-roll and you're like, hey, this guy's going too hard. And you're just like, I think people kind of like, freak out a little bit you get and especially me like not really knowing what's going on a lot of the times you can't just like stop you know somebody's on top of you and you're just it's like that internal panic but I think if everybody was a little bit better at communication like hey these are my expectations going forward
0: I think that's key I think it's so important we have to advocate for ourselves and you know you've got to feel comfortable with your training partners you know, at this point too, especially, you know, I'm 41 now and a black belt and, you know, I've spent a lot of time on the mats. I'm very selective of who I train with. Um, you know, do I necessarily need, you know, to train with a 250 pound newbie white belt that, you know, like maybe we'll do some drilling, but I might opt to not train with them if I feel like they're, their ability to relax is not there yet, <laughs> you know? And I, I pride myself in trying to raise non-spazzy white belts. It's a process and it's all part of it, it's natural. So when I say that, that's not a dig towards towards white belts but it's something that they have to learn. It's part of learning jujitsu, right? So I think you, you can be selective um because you want to kind of get the most out of your training and, and select the best partners you can train with but i also think it is just communication you know you have to communicate i tell my students all the time if you're injured let somebody know before you start rolling like hey you know i've got a herniated disc like can you maybe like lay off like the chokes or get to a submission get to the hold and like not go for the sub you know just communicate that right and I know we keep it on ourselves, like we want to get prideful. And it's like, well, I'll just tap if something's going on. But let your partner know, you know, and be like, it's okay, go for, you know, what you're going to go for. But I'm just letting you know, and I will tap if I feel like something's wrong. Um, you know, that's kind of our responsibility. But I think communicating that stuff is great. I think communicating pace also, like, hey, let's go, you know, this is worlds right now, I'm getting ready to compete, like, I want to go 100%. Let's go for it, you know, or if you're like, you know what, I'm not feeling so good today, or I just want to flow. I want to focus more on technique. I want to focus on using less strength. Like, can we go at maybe like a 30%, 50% pace? Just communicate that and set that up for your partners. And the more often you do this, like, and the, and the kind of, um, partners that are in your little circle, they're going to understand you and how you move and kind of what your goals are and what you want to do. But I think it's good to have an objective for your roles and kind of communicate that with your partners beforehand.
1: As a competitor right away, were you always going hard in the beginning when you, when you first got started because you were doing so many competitions?
0: I think probably, I mean, I still like who, you know, it's like, of course, who doesn't love to go hard? I think then you learn though you have to pace yourself and focus a little bit more on like micro drilling and drilling like moves like everybody loves to roll and just wants to like go 100 um but i think you learn over time and after especially each tournament i think competing is so valuable um it's almost equivalent to like three to six months of training i think because you really kind of put yourself out there you're in a different environment, you have the adrenaline to deal with the nerves, but you're also kind of seeing like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what works really well. This is what I really need to go back and work on. So I think incorporating a little bit more of like structured training- is just going to be beneficial to you so that you actually are working from the positions that you know you need to work on. Versus sometimes when we just roll, we may never get to those spots. So I think it's really learning over time how to incorporate all of that into your training so that you can be the best version of yourself, the best athlete or just the best hobbyist, practitioner, whatever it is, but to really progress in your skill level.
1: My competition career has been thirty-eight seconds, so I'm not sure the the three to six months of training correlated for me.
0: So, but did,
1: it was def it was definitely a good experience. It yes. was, it's it's fast. It's fast for sure.
0: It's fast. What happened? Let's talk about
1: this. How how'd it go? So okay, so mm-hmm. I practiced takedowns a week before, and we don't do. We do, it depends like what classes you go to. Um, sure. We do, we do takedowns maybe a couple times a month, but uh, you know, I was practicing them before and I'm like, I am not going to be able to take someone down. So I'll just try to pull guard. And then I pulled guard, but basically just pulled the guy right on top of me and I, okay. got, got spun around a few times and got choked very quickly.
0: Okay. So that's an important lesson. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've been there. Listen, I wanted to think I was like Bernardo Faria, doing like the best, like half guard pulls, like and like really utilize my half guard. I love deep half, so I'm like, let me just pull people in a half guard and practicing this pull over and over again, and like you know, pull somebody right into side control. So it's hard, you know, and and not to get into the whole debate of like takedowns versus guard pulls, but. It's not easy to just pull guard like that. And and when I say pulling guard, like I'm not talking about just like sitting to your butt. I'm talking about like really kind of pulling to a closed guard, whatever open guard you want. Maybe it's Zalajiva or, you know, getting to a half guard. Like you need to like legit get the grips, get your feet in the right position and make sure your legs and structure are solid so that you're getting into a position that you can play your best guard. Um, you know, so I think for you too, that's a, a big lesson on going back and probably working on your standup game of I need to incorporate more drilling each week, even though we're on the ground and grappling a ton, like you've got to get more confident with the standup piece of things, whether that is going for takedowns or guard pulls or your judo throws, whatever it may be, uh, working on defense, hand fighting, I think that stuff's all super, super important. And I say that as myself as a black belt, I was not, that's not something like wrestling was not something I was like comfortable with at all. Uh You know, I probably started really working on it at like Brown and black belts and really like wanting to focus on being better with that and just getting more confidence and being more comfortable, just standing and being able to kind of hang. And now like I've, Progressed a ton. I still have a lot of work to do, but I think that's a great, you know, example for you where it's like, okay, maybe if I had done this or I had been a little bit more successful or confident in that stand-up um, piece of it, you'd, you know, it may have been a different outcome. Or that's something that you can just work on and refine for the next one.
1: I think even those, like, learning the expectations are important too, because, you know, as somebody who. I look at it more as a self-defense thing that I'm doing this because I want to be able to defend myself on the street. But I mean, even when I got into the on the mats for the first time, you realize that your expectations are so far away from what it actually is. So if you're in a street fight, your expectations probably aren't going to happen. Like you have to be if you just go in a couple days a week expecting if something happens in the street that you're going to know what to do, you're probably not going to unless you've trained for everything. There's so many different scenarios that could happen. And, like, even, too, like, you think jujitsu, it's – I I don't know if it's communicated this way, but like, it's always Mm going to work. A smaller person is going to be able to control a bigger person. And that's just not the case. And I mean, I constantly find that out that if somebody's 50 pounds heavier than me on their first day, I'm probably going to lose and that's okay. But like, Mm -hmm. I need to be prepared for that. If that situation ever does happen on the street. For sure.
0: I think with anything and, and you know, I I think, (sighs) back in the day too, there'd be a lot of like self-defense, like learn, come to this self-defense seminar and you're going to know how to defend yourself. And it it goes along with anything in any sport. I mean, or any arts, right? Any martial arts, like you've got to be consistent. This comes back to us talking about consistency, right? You've got to rep these moves. So you can maybe learn something in that two hours of that seminar but you need to, and anytime like I've taught you know one of these seminars too, more self-defense focused, it's take these tools, like write them down, like record it, whatever you need to, but like practice these at home. Like you've got to practice this stuff daily or you know, a few times a week, because otherwise it's not in your muscle memory and you're not gonna be able to utilize it when you're one in one of those um, circumstances. Hopefully, you know, that's not the case, that doesn't happen. But Same thing with jujitsu. Like you've got to put in the constant reps to be able to refine your game, to be able to feel like, you know, what you can do. And, you know, when we're practicing these self-defense moves, a lot of them are a move, right. And you can get out of something or, you know, prevent something or block something, but then what happens like if you get to the ground or what happens you know when it continues so i think understanding the full scope of grappling is going to be something that's really beneficial training all of that consistent consistency getting in the reps um you know and also learning how to breathe and be comfortable in the uncomfortable because like you said there's somebody 50 pounds heavier than you and they're on top of you And you start kind of panicking, right? That might not be the best case scenario. So it's really kind of like focusing on your breath, not getting too anxious and like, I know what to do from here and and start working your escapes, right? Um, Obviously in self-defense, you might utilize some other things as well that we can't do in jujitsu, but uh, to save yourself. But I think that's all part of that mindset also that needs that practice as
1: well. I'd be interested to hear how your um how your training's evolved because it, I'm a lot around a lot of white belts I think especially when you're new at something you like tend to surround yourself with people who are like more comfortable but sure. not everybody's going to be that that white belt who's like super excited about jiu-jitsu. I'm sure you've had points in your training where maybe not that you didn't like it anymore, but the passion for it kind of goes away. Can you talk about the the ups and downs of just training for as long as you have?
0: Yeah. I um, you know, I think a perfect example of that too is that like I, you know, as I said earlier, I competed a ton like white through purple belt. And um there was one point at Purple Belt, like I had a really high moment where I like took second at pans. And then like, I had a super fight not too long after, and it was a whole different stage, right? Like all the focus is all on you. And people were like, Oh, you've got this. Like, this is perfect. Like they, you know, knew the competitor and they're like, no pressure. Like you'll totally win this. And I don't like that. I'm like, don't, don't tell me that, you know, in my mind that kind of plays mind games. And i kind of, I feel like I went out there and kind of froze. Right. And I feel like that really affected me for a long time. Like after that loss, I took that really hard and then I didn't compete for a long time. Now, teaching also kind of became my shift in passion. Like I was feeling more fulfilled teaching and I had like competed so much that I was like, this is kind of a nice break. As far as not a break from the training, I always loved training hard and being comp ready, but I I really wanted to focus on being able to to teach and share the love of jujitsu, So I kind of took that that break from competition for a while and didn't compete again until uh, last fall or end of summer at Masters Worlds at Black Belt. So I didn't compete during Brown Belt. There was also COVID going on, so that was a big, you know, um, aspect to that. But I, I think, you know, there's going to be hard times, and I think there's – periods of self-doubt. I think also, you know, your training is going to ebb and flow, especially if you're training a lot. You can't always be a hundred percent and you're going to have weeks where it's like, I just feel like I don't know jujitsu. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm super frustrated. Like, why can't I get this move or work from this position? It's just not clicking. And then maybe a week or two later, you feel like super on point. And I think what the the difference is, is especially, you know, at White Belt, there's so many aspects to understand. I feel like jujitsu is very intricate and it's, it's hard because you're like, I should know this or I should understand this by this point. But I think it's a very natural thing and showing yourself some grace and trying not to be so hard on yourself and just going back and showing up, you know no matter what the outcome of that training session was, it's like leaving it on the mats. Like just keep showing up and keep coming back because one day you will get it. You will have that light bulb moment or it will click. And I think as a higher belt and just more years on the mat, you expect those periods and you know that they're part of the process and very natural. And so you accept them. And not to say you don't get as frustrated. I, Cried on the mats a couple weeks ago during a training session because I was just, you know, putting so much training in, and I was just being really hard on myself. And you know, I hate the frustration comes out at tears, tears sometimes, but that's what happens. And it was a great release for me. Like my training partners were great, super supportive, and you know, I just kept right on. But I needed to let go of that. I needed to vent about it. I needed to release a, you know, release it a bit. But I think it's all natural because you care about your training. You want to be better. You know, you want to, we strive sometimes for that perfection, which I think it's more so let's strive for progress and just keep showing up to train. But I think, you know, as, as being someone who's been on the mats longer, I think you just expect to have those periods of frustration and, and challenges and you know how to deal with them a little bit better and just keep pushing forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. And it's funny, like, I can see that as a weightlifter. Mm-hmm. But I think um, jujitsu, it's a little bit harder to see that sometimes. Especially with something that's, like, very fast and so, I guess, primal, you could you could say. Like, sure. you're fighting another human being. So Absolutely. it's just, like, you're, I think your brain's going in so many different directions. And it's very easy to lose sight of, like, oh, I do love this. I really enjoy going. I like the people here. Not mm-hmm. just thinking about you know, why couldn't I get out of that position today? Or why is this guy always beat me? I think it's like hard to just take a step back and be like, you know what, I do. I really do love this for some reason. Don't know why sometimes, but I really do. I keep showing up.
0: I don't know. I keep getting beat up, but why do I come back? But that's a good sign. And I think asking those questions to yourself, like if you start dreaming about jujitsu, like that's a really good sign. (laughs) But like if you're like, you know, after a really hard training session, you go back and you're like, all I could think about is how I got into this position and I just like couldn't get out or they kept getting me here. Or, you know, I I think that's a really good way to review what you did. And to then, you know, if you're struggling, maybe like, it's like side control or, you know, whatever position it may be going back, you know, the next week. And I think this comes back around to having these goals for your roles. Right. And I, I wish And maybe at like, you know, white belts, it's a little harder to figure that out because you haven't really like figured out your game. But I think, you know, if you, if you can focus on some goals during your drilling or during your training or ask somebody, Hey, can we start in this bottom side control position? Like I want to start here because I'm really trying to refine it and get better. Like, accepting those bad spots and trying to work on them and have a goal to your training instead of like, maybe not getting there again for a while or just getting into a role and seeing if I get there and then maybe I can work on it. You know, I think it's okay to communicate that and be like, hey, I want to get better at this position. It's a shitty position. I want to be there like, yeah, I'm going to start a bottom side control, but this is going to help me get better and just accept it and have a goal to that. I think that's a really, a really good thing to be able to do. And as a white belt too, like this is just a note to throw out to people, I feel like you're going to get better more defensively first than you are offensively you know, you're going to start learning more offensive movements a little bit later on. But I think it is more primal, more natural, like to figure out like, oh, I'm in danger. I need to defend myself. Right. So I think those are going to be the first things that you're going to kind of grasp onto more so than, oh, I'm going to be super offensive from this position right away. So, you know, understand that, that too, that that's kind of the natural progression.
1: Yeah. And even like, I mean, you don't even know really when you're in danger in the beginning. Like, is this a position that I'm in danger or am I okay here?
0: For sure, and I think it's, yeah, it goes to show too. Well, because like in jujitsu, I mean, you know, a lot of people are gonna be stronger from their back, which is usually a more vulnerable position. So it's like, how is someone attacking me here? Like, I feel like I'm, I'm in a better spot because I'm on top, but they've got me in this guard game and it's like, man, I'm in trouble, right? So I think, you know, you kind of learn that over time, you know, you're going to, you, you need to be open to the process and allowing yourself be in these positions. And I think then that's how you learn like, oh, being here and like my posture down low, maybe that's not the best idea or reaching my arm out this way. Like, oh, okay, I got it. But sometimes people telling you things, I can repeat things to students like so many times and they still do the opposite of what I say. And then they wonder why something's happening. But they need to go through that to feel it and then like, know, oh, this is why I shouldn't do that. Okay, I understand that now.
1: You know? Exactly. How important do you think the outside study is? Like I I told you when we talked, there's just so many resources out there and there's a bunch of people on Instagram and YouTube who have stuff. Do you think that, especially framing it as a beginner's perspective, do you think people should be... You know, going home, watching stuff on YouTube, looking at moves on Instagram, or do you think you should really just kind of go into training and then leave and come back the next time and really focus on what you're doing there?
0: Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I feel like we used to joke like, oh gosh, like, you know, new students would go like look at YouTube and be like, oh my God, I want to do this like really intricate move. Like, doesn't this work? Like so-and-so did this on a video. And it's like, okay, let's, let's maybe like not watch so much of the YouTube stuff. So, but, but now I feel like there is so much great content out there. I feel like, you know, you should be able to kind of go to your coach, ask questions or like hire belt teammates and be like, listen, I have a question on this. You know, is this a good resource on YouTube? You know, is this a good person to kind of follow? And I think they can kind of give you guidance because I think doing at-home study is great. Like mental jujitsu is just as important, right? And especially if you're having trouble from a spot, you're taking kind of ownership of your own jujitsu and doing more studying. Like my coach would always say that like, you know, you can come to class, but you've also, you know, have to take ownership of that to like That's your responsibility if you want to get better, like maybe you're setting aside time to come in before class, after class, get more drilling in, work from positions, ask for help. So I I think that's great. So I think using your coaches and teammates as a resource to kind of filter through what's, you know, maybe better options than others to watch or maybe something appropriate for your level um, because there is a lot of great content out there. I also think – journaling is really important. So as you're just starting out, I think journaling, you know, what you did in class, like taking jujitsu notes after class, really helps solidify the movements in your mind. Even if you never look back at those journals, writing it down, it's just that physical act. So it's really going to ingrain that move a little bit more and the details that you learn from your coach or whoever was teaching. Um, So I think that's really important. I think you should take what you learned and really kind of try and think about that afterwards and study that. I also say if people get like injured, you know, don't just not show up to class anymore. Like maybe you can't train, but come in and watch class, right? Watch class, take notes. There's still a way to be very present and involved. And I think all of that is very important. So the mental jujitsu side of it, I think is incredibly important, just as much as physically training.
1: Interesting. I had I've tried the note thing and it just hasn't really stuck, but maybe I'll revisit that because I think that's a good idea.
0: You know, I think it's helpful and it's, it doesn't have to like, you know, be a like full page of every like single detail, but remember kind of like what stuck in your mind. Like we were doing scissor sweep and this detail, you know, that the instructor shared is something that I really want to remember and just write it down, you know, maybe like a few bullet points, but I think it just really helps solidify it so that you really understand. And it gives you like a, a moment to look back at, okay, what did we learn? Can I articulate what we learned today? I, I think that's kind of the point so that you really remember. And it's not like, okay, I was there going through these moves and then you forget about it, but it's like, what did I, what did I really learn? Can I, am I able to articulate that? you know, and that just kind of helps you be able to eventually help someone else going through that at that moment and guide somebody. So,
1: yeah, I like that. I think that's good advice. Um, I mean, I know you, you have a lot of stuff outside of jujitsu. Like, um, I don't want to just focus on that because there's a lot more to you than just being on the mats, but like, do you think, I mean, what have you done like up to say be completely outside of jujitsu? Like, do you think that even getting to black belt has taught you other things in life, how, you know, starting a business, uh, doing your podcast, doing your blog, like, has that, you think, transferred over into confidence, into success and other things too?
0: Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, when you think about it, like if you're on that journey and you stick with it, that's a long commitment, right? Even longer than like, It would take maybe to go back and get a master's or college or whatever, you know, a degree like, you know, it's been it took me about 10 years, you know, to get my black belt like that's a big chunk of time. That's a decade. So there's so much in that journey. Um, First of all, that's that's really dedication, like that's something that you've like stuck to and been able to achieve. A lot of people can't dedicate a lot of that time to do that. Right. So. I think that kind of shows you, um, that, that endurance, that dedication that you have. Um, but it absolutely, like I said, I mean, I think jujitsu helped me, um, realize who I was, who I could be, who I wanted to be. It helped me go through a divorce. It helped me go through very challenging times in my life. Um, it definitely helped me be a more successful business owner, um, and just a, a better person and. You know, it's something I'm so passionate about, but it has trickled into many different parts of my life. Um, You know, I think you do just, it's very raw and you learn a lot about yourself. All those highs and lows on the mat transfer into life. And I feel like when you can deal with those situations, you can deal with life situations a little bit easier. Um, I also think that you have to be extremely present in jujitsu. So it's almost very meditative. Um, If you're struggling with a lot that's going on in your life and you get on the mat and train, that is truly a time where you can't think about the stuff that's going on in your life because you can get injured. Like you have to be super focused in jujitsu. You have to be super present because you can get hurt. Something can happen or you can hurt your training partner. So you've got to be there a hundred percent. And then after that training session, you'd step off the mat and you're like, I just survived those tough rolls, or I survived somebody, you know, sometimes with a hammer, sometimes with a nail, but somebody's like trying to just crush me and kill me on the mats. You step off the mats and you're like, man, like I just got through that. Like what was so stressful that was in my mind earlier? Like that seems like I survived so much. I can do anything. Right. So I, I think it just really. Gives you the tools to be able to handle situations in life a lot better um, and to kind of detach from things a little bit more, look at the perspective a little bit differently, and give you those coping tools to kind of endure and get through them.
1: I'm reading this book, uh, Mastery, right now by Robert Green, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff you're talking about. And uh, I think. I'm relating it to jujitsu. I'm relating it to weightlifting, all these different things. But I mean, the same things show up. Like if you want to master anything, it's going to be a long time. It's Mm going to be dedication. It's going to be being present and like really, like you said, taking ownership of things and taking your outside notes. And there's just so many, I think, different things that keep coming up that you, it's hard to like not take what you learn on the mats into everyday life. Mm -hmm. If you don't, like, it's a disservice to yourself, I think.
0: A thousand percent. I agree with that. Like, I feel like it's an opportunity to be vulnerable, and some people aren't comfortable with that. And this goes back to kind of ego and and being humble. Um, You know, there are people that expect to go into jujitsu and be like, oh, I'm going to kill everybody, you know, in my first class, and then they realize very quickly that that's not the case. And I think the people that can kind of accept that and be more vulnerable are going to learn so much, learn so much about themselves. And sometimes we have to be vulnerable and open in life. So that's, that's another lesson. I just think you, you then get the returns so much greater when you're able to do that and learn from someone, even as, you know, a black belt, there's, blue belts who are like killing it. And, you know, I'm learning from them. If I was just like, oh no, that's a blue belt. Like I can't let them tap me out or, you know, do whatever. It's like, that's ego getting in the way. Like we can learn from everyone. You know, there's, everybody's not going to be amazing at every single move. You know, there's different moves for different body types and, you know, people are studying or doing jujitsu elsewhere or cross training, whatever. And they bring in like cool stuff. And it's like, man, how'd you do that? Like, I want to know how you just subbed me. Like, I'd love to learn how to do that. So I think just being vulnerable and open to learning from all your peers, you know, your students, your coaches, um, I think it's it's just an amazing opportunity. Instead of kind of shutting down and being like, I have to win every time and I have to beat everybody, it's that's not the best concept to have, I think, in life.
1: Do you think that's evolved over time? just in yourself, have you noticed?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I get excited when like my students like get into a great position or sub me or do something. You know, I'm like, okay, they're paying attention in class. <laughs> like <laughs> this is working for them. Um or like we want our students to be better than we are, right? And I think now because of how much more like jujitsu has has become more popular and it's more out there, there's more exposure. I think lower belts are learning a lot quicker. And I think that's like with every new generation, that's what happens, right? It's like they're learning more. They know more at Blue Belt than I knew when I was in Blue Belt. And I remember like my coach saying that about him. You know, it's it's just the evolution um and the learning are just there's just so much more progress or so much more to learn. Um so you know I, I think it's I think it's the beautiful thing. Honestly like that's how I know that I'm doing a good job. If, if, you know, my students are doing well, um, you know, that's like what I'm here to help them do and give them that support. So I, and I'm not going to be someone who's not going to roll with you, like, or who's not going to, you know, help you out or or give you suggestions. I'm going to give you props when you do something really, really well. I'm going to help you out when you're struggling. Like that's to me what it's all about. Not like, oh man, I can't let somebody like, you know, get into a better position on me or sub me. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's part of it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of like the, um, you think about the parents who like always are beating their kids, like all the time, not, not, not like physical (laughs) abuse, but like playing sports, if they're like playing basketball and they just win all the time, like as there's kind of, like, two schools of thought, like, you want your kid to eventually beat you, or do you want to, like, let your kid win sometime It's, like, it's such a balance. It's just interesting. I think there's no right or wrong way, but I think, yeah, like, you, there's probably stuff to take from each different approach.
0: It is, and, and that's the thing, like, if I'm trying to go out and just, like, beat my students all the time, like, Sure. Could that happen? But like, what are they going to learn? Like, am I sometimes going to let them maybe get into some positions? And when I say let them, I don't mean like easily, but maybe I'm putting myself in a more vulnerable position where I'm working and they can get into a little bit of a better spot that allows them to work. Like, I feel like it's a, you know, it's a give and take and it's, it's good for everybody. Right. But I want to kind of test and see, do they know if I do this, do they know the correct response? Do they know where to go? And so I feel like that's important as a coach, there's times for all of it, right? Like there's times I'm going to push them and go like super hard. And if I think they can handle it and put them in a different positions and make sure that they can feel comfortable when there's a ton of pressure on them and they can breathe and survive. Right. And then there's going to be times where I'm like, okay, if I do this or expose that, do they know, you know, how to adapt? Do they know where to go? And then there's going to be times where like, Hey, maybe I'm half assing it. And they straight up just catch me like, great, you know, good on you. Like, so I, I think you have to kind of balance it all a little bit, um, to just help your students evolve even more.
1: Yeah. Do you have a, like a hard cutoff? I just, it's getting ten fifty seven. 57. I, I don't have any time limit, but, uh. I didn't know if you had.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm probably good for another like 20 minutes or so.
1: Okay. I, I just that wanted to make cool. sure you didn't – yeah, just yeah. wanted to make sure you didn't have to hop off at an, any certain yeah. point. Yeah. Um, What habits – what routines do you have outside of jujitsu that keep yourself healthy? I know that you've had a pretty uh, drastic weight loss, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like what things have you done that have kept you healthy outside, diet-wise, um, sunlight, anything? Love to hear it.
0: I, um, you know, I'm very big into, and I preach this a lot, but just, you know, self-care, healthy lifestyle. I think it's super important. Um, just as much as having workouts that you enjoy and like movement is super important, but you've also, you know, what you put into your body, um, affects you performance wise and, uh, energy live nutrients. Um, so I think finding, um, the right balance of the foods that work best for you. I think just, you know, common sense, well-balanced eating uh is important. Uh I listen to my body. I know what feels good and what doesn't. Um, you know, and and I mean that's something I've become so passionate about that that's kind of what I help people do and implement into their lives. Um, but also, you know, sleep is a huge thing. I make sure I get 8 hours of sleep every night. If possible, I schedule it. I'm a very uh, organized individual. I'm very much a Capricorn and, uh, I'm an achiever, but I'm very organized. I'm a planner. So my best advice to, to kind of give people is if you want to get something done, like put it on the calendar, plan it, make it happen. That's how it will. So sleep is important. Um, movement and not just jujitsu. Like I make sure that I get strength training in, you know, a few times a week, I make sure that I'm foam rolling and stretching and doing mobility work. I think that's super important, especially as you start getting older. Um, you know, and some people might be like, Oh, that's boring. Or that's, you know, I don't have time for that. It doesn't have to be like 30 minutes a day. Foam rolling could be like 90 seconds to two minutes per muscle area. You know, you shouldn't really spend that much more time doing that. So, that kind of self care, I really try and incorporate, um, you know, getting out if I can go for a walk. Having a dog is a great thing to be able to do that, but getting out into the sunlight, um, you know, getting some fresh air, just taking moments to kind of breathe during the day, just if I'm feeling overwhelmed keeping stress down as much as possible. I know that's a hard thing to do, but that's something that, um, i really just like, I have to stop myself and just take some really good deep breaths just so I know I can like, huh, okay. Reset and deal with what I need to do and prioritize from there. Um, but you know, I also think just being able to talk, like check in with your people, uh, you know, communicate with your trusted people. Um, trying not to hold everything in, um, you know, and just communicate how you're feeling, especially if you're going through a hard time is really, really important. Um, you know, and, uh, taking time to like schedule maybe, you know, a massage or, or something that feels good and restorative for your body. I think all of that, especially if you live a very active lifestyle, is really important. And on the opposite end of that, people who are very sedentary or who have to like sit at a computer all day, I think doing something for your body, if you can once a week, once a month, every couple months, something that's a little more restorative and is really going to help you, um, I think is is really, really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it doesn't have to be like, obviously for you, it might be a little bit different. It might be mm-hmm. massage, but for people, you know, meditating, right. finding exactly. breath work or yeah,
0: exactly. Whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. I always love to ask people that just because I think there are so many different things out there that are becoming popular. And the more that's out there, the better, like the, the more that you can find that works for you. Like meditation might not work for some people for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So So, what else can they find? What else can they do?
0: Yeah. That's no, I think it's there's so many different options out there, but I think what it boils down to is really taking, setting aside the time for yourself where you can maybe, you know, get off devices, like spend some alone time, quality time, getting something done that's maybe restorative or, you know, going for a walk, meditating, breath work, like you said. Getting in some stretching or rolling, you know, uh, getting a massage, talking with a friend, maybe calling somebody on the phone and having a conversation, meeting a friend for coffee, you know, whatever it is um, that just makes you feel good, that's kind of out of your routine that like feeds your soul.
1: Yeah, I think it's just like, you know, finding things that make you present, Mm -hmm. finding things that that you can breathe while you're doing. Absolutely. Um, I think that's super important. Totally. Yeah. I I mean, there's like, I kind of, it's funny, like the, so when I first started the podcast, I was thinking, you know, invite all the top weightlifters on. I'm going to take as much away from their training as I can. And looking back, like I evolved to jujitsu and like asking black belts on, but like the more you kind of talk to people, the more you see that there's no one size fits all. Everybody does things a little bit differently, but mm-hmm. I think if we can, if we can take one thing from you, if we can take one thing from Chris Wojcik and implement all those little, all those things into our routines, like we're going to be in a really healthy spot. For sure. Absolutely. Do you think as a, as a coach, cause I, I haven't really asked like the coaches at my gym, but, uh, like how has that changed your relationship with jujitsu? Do you think it's made it stronger? I know you said you you really enjoy teaching and you got a lot of fulfillment out of that, but what kind of changed when you did become a coach?
0: You know, I love it. I don't know. I think like when I was little, this is funny, I always wanted to be a teacher. I mean, I'd always like play like school <laughs> like teacher. But as I, you know, got out of high school, I knew like beauty was the thing I wanted to go to. So I got my license in the trades and did that so I think you know everything that I do and like even now with jujitsu like that's how teaching has kind of come into my life and it was something that was natural and I I started teaching at blue belts like I got the support from my coaches to start women's classes and teach and they saw that it was something I love to do and, and gave me that like go ahead gave me the blessing like do it um you know, and I had very good role models for that. So I think teaching honestly has really like solidified the technique and training to myself more. So I feel like I get so much knowledge out of that, being able to teach someone how to do something. And I think it's even more challenging teaching beginners, you know, fundamentals because they're not used to it, like more advanced you know, students can pick up on things and concepts easier. Right. Um, but I think really being able to just see someone's progress over time from when they started to like a year later or six months down the line and seeing not just like their skill improvement Jiu jujitsu, um, or training, but seeing the impact it's had on them overall and in their life. Like that to me, and I could get so sappy and start crying about it, but like, that's the beautiful thing. Like, that's what it's all about, right? So I, for me, I feel grateful that people trust me with that and um, show up to my classes and love coming and love being students and that I'm able to be part of their journey in that way. Um, So for me, it's been, you know, a super positive experience. You know, of course, as business owners and running a gym, that's always a little, you know, that can be a little frustrating um, at times, just like anything else, because it's it is a business at the end of the day too. But the whole aspect of being able to teach and coach is so, so rewarding and something I absolutely love to do.
1: That's really awesome. Where can uh, where can people go if they wanna listen to your podcast or find your blog, uh, website, things like that? Anything yeah. you wanna promote.
0: So I just rolled out a new website. Uh, all Things Gen Z, it's one N, so All Things J-E-N-Z.com. And everybody can find all my content there, all my services, uh, my jujitsu schedule, um, my podcast, my blog. I just rolled out some new um, membership levels uh, to join the Gen Z tribe, but where people can get um, subscription to content that I'll deliver about you know healthier, happier lifestyle um, regarding fitness, nutrition, jujitsu, even everything, beauty, uh, self-care. So everything in the Gen Z world is all on the website so people can find everything on there.
1: Very cool. I'll get that linked up in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on today.
0: Of course. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I truly, truly appreciate it.